Hello, everyone, and welcome to BibleQuest.tv, the Tuesday edition. We're glad you're able to join us today. And let me get my things all organized here better. Uh, let's see. Yeah, it is Tuesday, Tuesday afternoon at 2 p.m. Well, a little after two minutes after 2 p.m. We're glad you're able to join us. If you're coming in from uh, using the Zoom app, we'd like you to open up the Q&A button and be ready to type in some questions or comments as we go through uh, the conversation today. And then um, if you're coming in from the uh, Facebook uh, page, use the comment box down there. You guys, everyone, you guys and girls, you know how to do that using uh, Facebook in the comment box. Uh, before we get into the, into the program itself, let me bring in the panelists. I'm Drew, your host, uh, Jonathan. Sadler, Jonathan, good to see you. Thank you to see you guys too. Yeah, is that does that say Louisville? Is that where you're from? Yeah, that's right. That's born and raised, city of Louisville. Oh, that's great. But now you're in Pennsylvania. Right. Yep. Just outside of Gettysburg, right? Mm-hmm. Yes, sir. Good. Uh, Stephen is with us. Stephen, good to see you in Harrisburg, Pennsylvania. How you be? Things are going pretty well, all things considered. Good to be here with you guys. Yeah, it is good to be with you with this, uh, what are we on, day 40-something isolation? Something like that. I lose count. Some, yeah, yeah, I lose count. And our program director, Scott Smeltzer. How are you doing, Scott? I'm doing well, Drew. How are you doing? I'm doing very well, thank you. So, Scott, we've got a question that came in from one of our viewers uh, last week that we're going to address. Why don't you go ahead and uh, introduce the topic? All right. I don't have the text up in front of me, so I'll describe it just very briefly, and then if one of you can read a few excerpts from it. But it has to do, we're going to be talking about balance in the first part of our study today, and then we're going to be talking about some of the specifics of the question uh, after that. So if somebody wants to read us a few of the excerpts from that question. I think, Jonathan, you had it up, didn't you? Yeah, yeah, I can uh, read a few of the things here. Um, so uh, the main thing that we're going to start talking out about is addressing this, um, looking at how uh, students of the Word of God can get too far in one direction or the other. Um, and it's profitable for us to talk about that because that's something that happens a lot um, in different studies and in different viewpoints. And that's where a lot of different doctrines have come, going to an extreme or the opposite extreme, um, which isn't necessarily always good. Um, and then um, the main thing that we want to talk about in talking about the extremes of this is uh, this statement that this viewer saw. Um, the statement is there are two utterly different forms of religion. One believes God will love me if I change, and the other believes that God loves me so that I can change. Um, and so we're going to talk about um, those ideas and then kind of move on um, to thinking about the idea of does God accept us just as we are? So when, when we meet him at the cross, does God love us? just the way um, that we are, um, and how does that change throughout our walk with him, or does it change? Does he love me just the way I am at all points in our walk, whenever we're making just tiny amounts of progress, or struggling, or not looking very good, or weary, or afraid, or frustrated, or, or whatever? So their question was, was, what is God's love, and what warrants God's love, um, I suppose? Jonathan, why don't you repeat that, so at least if I can go, because you said it fast, but there's only one little word that was different. Mm -hmm. about if and can. Can you read that yeah. contrast on those two questions? Again? Yeah. Yeah. So at the beginning, the two different um, views of religion are, um, number one, that God will love me 
if I change. Uh, number two, God loves me so that I can change, um, which there's slight difference, but I think pretty big difference in those two. All right, very good. Uh, and let's just say broadly at the beginning here, and we'll get into this question more, but um, does God love us if we change? Yes. Did God, does God love us so we can change? Yes. Mm -hmm. And one of the things we'll get to as we go on further is we shouldn't mistake the word love for approve and accept. In Revelation chapter two and three, there's seven churches. Most of them are criticized about something and complimented about something. Uh, one has no compliment at all. It is utterly rejected. He says, I will spew you out of my mouth. And he said, as many as I love, I reprove and chasten. Mm -hmm. So the fact that God loves you doesn't mean he necessarily approves of you. And one of the things that God can do for people that he loves is reprove them so that they will come back where they need to be. So that's a short answer. But there's a lot on this we want to talk about. And we want to start with talking about just the importance of balance when we're studying. Um, so I've got some charts here I'm going to bring up in a minute. But Jonathan, uh, you taught some on this subject. And you're going to be teaching soon on the subject of balance. Let's see what you have to say. Yeah, so I think just really briefly, because I don't want to spend a lot of time on this, but but balance is an important thing to realize. Um, Scott's going to share some charts about overcorrecting from when we see something negative or opposite from the Word of God and overcorrecting too much um, to a different thing. But I think Jesus, there's a, an example of Jesus talking about balance and understanding balance in God's Word. So in Matthew 23, um, the lengthy chapter about Jesus, his woes to the Pharisees, the religious elites um, that were off the charts in all kinds of different ways, and they were hypocrites uh, in the ways that they acted. In verse 23, Jesus says, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you tithe mint and dill and cumin, and have neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice and mercy and faithfulness. Um, so the Pharisees were, were picking out little tiny things um, and making sure that they gave 10% of all of these little tiny things, these herbs and spices, um, but they've, they've forgotten and neglected showing mercy to each other and, and, and uh, extending justice and, uh, and loving each other and having faithfulness. And Jesus doesn't condemn them for tithing mint and dill and cumin. He condemns them for not keeping both of these. He says, uh, following in verse 23, these you ought to have done without neglecting the others. And so there's obviously a balance that we need to have. And there are some things Jesus calls them weightier matters, some things that maybe require more effort and more time in, but there needs to be a balance in all the different commands that God gives us. Um, and so I think a lot of times, um, whenever different topics like this are brought up, um, people have preconceived notions and preconceived ideas um, about maybe how God should feel or, or what God, you know, really thinks about love and like, no, God can't be like that in his love for me or that doesn't make sense in my head. But what we need to remember is we need to look back in the Bible and, and understand and see what does God say himself? What does the Bible say itself? And so one thing for, for our viewers and for all of us as we're studying not just this topic, but any topic in the Bible, realize that there is a very real sense that we need to balance the things that God says and understand there are some weightier matters. And then also keep in mind um, the, the Christians that were in Berea, um, those Jews in Berea in, in Acts 17, how when they're faced with something new, something that maybe they'd never heard before, they, they accept that, they listen to it, and then they go and search the scriptures to see, is this really so? 
And so the things that we present today, maybe you won't agree with, and maybe we could be wrong. And if we are wrong, let us know. We, we want to follow God's word. Um, but search in the scriptures and see what the scriptures say about that. And don't just go off in, in uh, an extreme direction um, based on something else that you've heard. Stephen or Drew, any thoughts on that before we go to a few charts here for a couple minutes? Sometimes yeah. we think uh, we, we really have the answers. We know the answers because we have the truth. We have the Bible. and We get settled in on knowing what we know. And maybe a few years later after studying, all of a sudden we realize, wait a minute, I might have had that a little off. We, we, got, we have to humble ourselves and recognize, you know, we, we make mistakes. The word of God doesn't, we do. So that, that's the point I think you're trying to make. Uh, well, you were making a very good point about it, Jonathan. It's the word of God. We have to humble ourselves and change our thinking, no matter how many years you've been or I've been a Christian. Yeah, amen. And so um, it's a lot easier to think in extremes than it is to think biblically. Um, so, so many uh, religious errors come from overreacting to something that is legitimately wrong. Um, the Pharisees were legitimately wrong. But if we overcorrect and say that well god's law doesn't even matter then we're also wrong and so with a question uh like we're talking about today where we have these two statements the goal is not to feel like it's an either or kind of a thing but to figure out okay biblically how do we understand god's love for us and how can we not go to extremes well his, his love for us in the condition that we're in or where we're at right now, or whenever in our life. And I'd like to say a few things, just somebody said something about preconceptions. And just to illustrate that, let me throw out a few questions here. Uh, aside from purely spiritual things, I'm gonna mention some practical things which often have to do with spiritual things too. But let's take, uh, uh, say a father in a family, and he's got several concerns, right? Uh, there's his children, there's his wife, there's his finances, there's his home, there's his health, okay? Can you think of men who, that you've known that are much more interested in their money and their possessions than taking care of, spending time with their kids? Mm -hmm. Unfortunately. Uh, have you seen people who take really good care of their things, but not their health? Yeah. Have you, they, have you, have you seen people who uh, take care, uh, you know, we could go on and on. The fact is, it's easy for us to get out of balance in one thing or another. So let's pull up these charts, talk about that, and then come back to the question at hand. So this is on balance and correction versus overcorrection. So uh, here's a car and the driver, uh, either he was changing the radio or dropped his burrito or was nodding off or whatever and realizes he's about to go off the road into the ditch on the right side of the road. That is very scary. So what do uh, people that don't drive very well do in a situation like that? Jerk that wheel to the left. 
Yeah. Yeah. You can. <laughs> like, oh no, so got that's terrible. I got to get away from there. And so <laughs> this happens. Uh, and uh, this is uh, from, a Mini Cooper. Sad day. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I was driving my Mini Cooper when I made that uh, illustration. So swerving and overcorrecting are good intentions gone wrong. Everyone learns it's best to avoid a crash, et cetera, et cetera. Part of the overreaction and overcorrection is stress and fear. Our bodies think the harder we jerk the steering wheels or hit the brakes, the better the outcome. That couldn't be further from the truth. Uh, in fact, in we'll pick on Jonathan here, he's from Kentucky. Overcorrecting is the top cause of car accidents in Kentucky. You can find listings for what's the chief cause in different states. And that's the leading one in Kentucky at the time three years ago. So it's a serious danger on the road. It's a serious danger in spiritual matters. We're going to give a couple of quick illustrations. Um, First Timothy 4 talks about people that are, uh, what's the, something about their consciences, I forgot. Seared. Right. Yeah, calloused, seared in their conscience. Uh, First Corinthians 5, what was the attitude of many of the Corinthians toward the man living in adultery with his father's wife? They're arrogant about it. Yeah. So Paul specifically says, you didn't mourn. You're not sad about that. Who's getting their way when we're not sad about our sins? Satan. Yeah. So what is it that in 2 Corinthians, we're taught this is what you need to have and it'll bring you to repentance. You need to have godly sorrow. Godly sorrow leads to repentance. When we don't feel bad about it, we don't want to stop it. Godly sorrow is important. Oh, sorry, Scott, you're cutting out there a little bit. Oh, sorry. Uh, You're back. back. Go ahead. You're back. That happens when you do a transition in your slide. All right. So in 2 Corinthians 7, we have godly sorrow leads to repentance. But after a person is repented, what do the rest of us need to do and why? Forgive and, and bring exactly. back and accept. Bring back. Reaffirm your love. Mm-hmm. So that they not be consumed with overmuch sorrow. sorrow. Consumed with overmuch sorrow. So there's, if you don't have sorrow, you got a problem. If you have the sorrow to bring you to repentance, good, great. But then you're forgiven, rejoice in that forgiveness. Uh, other people comfort you into that forgiveness. It doesn't do any good to stay mournful the rest of your life and miserable about, you know, uh, what a failure you, you were. Because who's getting their way when we have over much sorrow? Also Satan. Yeah. And verse 11 says we're not ignorant of his devices. And so everybody's familiar with the pendulum swing. You can see, we're not going to go into detail about this, but a great example of this in history is if here's what you've got in the New Testament, and by the 1500s, you've got all these ridiculous things, you know, uh, putting money in the thing, get people out of purgatory, and if you do this and if you do that, somebody can go to heaven to earn it or achieve it or get some saint to pitch in or whatever. And then Luther starts teaching only faith and that type of thing, but he didn't even mean it as far as people went. But we see how pendulum swings happen. One more point or two we want to make here 
And that is because there's a ditch on the right and the ditch on the left, a lot of people kind of decide the safest thing is to do what? Stay in the middle. Don't go anywhere. Be in the middle of the road. So you'll notice people, whenever there's a controversy, eh, don't be middle of the road. You know, it's like, you know, um, and sometimes you can't be middle of the road. Like with the prophets of Elijah, uh, at the time of Elijah, the prophet Elijah and the prophets of Baal. You say, well, yeah, I kind of think Jehovah's kind of a good God, but Baal's kind of a good God too. You don't want to be middle of the road. <laughs> no. He said, why go limping between the two? So this is not, this doesn't mean this is the solution. Just keep it between the ditches, always in the middle. Avoid extremes at all costs. What road is he on? Yeah. The broad way. He's <laughs> not on the narrow way. So the solution is not always look where everybody else is and pick something average. That's not the solution. The loose solution is to follow Christ and stay in what he said and keep in balance. Uh, so Matthew 7, it's a narrow way. Average doesn't mean right. Uh, average placement inside or outside of the ark was outside of the ark. Then <laughs> it was where it needed to be. In Revelation 3, 4, 14, Luke, they were neither hot nor cold. They were lukewarm. And Jesus said, what about them? I will spew you out of my mouth. Spew you out of my mouth. Did that mean God didn't love them? In fact, it says specifically in that verse, and I'll read that verse and I'll turn it over to you guys to start looking at our question directly. Uh, Turning the Bible to Revelation chapter 3, one of the stronger condemnation verses uh, to brethren in the New Testament. So listen to it. To the angel of the church at Laodicea, this is Revelation 3.14, these things saith the amen, the faithful, true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. I know your works. You are neither cold nor hot. I wish you were cold or hot. Because you are lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will spew you out of my mouth. Because you say, I'm rich, I've gotten riches, I have need of nothing, and you know not that you're the wretched one, miserable, poor, and blind, and naked. And then he says, somebody please read verse 19. Revelation 3.19, those whom I love, I reprove and discipline. So be zealous and repent. So does he love them? Yep, absolutely. Does that mean they're okay? No. Nope. No. No. And in his love, he's delivering that message. Repent. And then he says in verse 21. The one who conquers, I will grant him to sit with me on my throne, as I also conquered and sat down with my father on his throne. So if you want the Lord to love you and not accept you, be like the rich young ruler. Jesus loved him, but he walked away sorrowful without eternal life. Be like the relay out of sins if they didn't repent. The Lord loved them, but he didn't approve of them. If you want to be loved and approved, do what he said. All right, and that'll kind of begin to get us into this question. Where do y'all want to start? Well, we can start back with the idea. Um, so back in the, the original um, question, um, kind of it starts with this idea of, of how does God view me um, while I'm in sin? Um, so um, 
Uh, it started off saying there are two different ideas. One believes that God will love me if I change. The other says that God will lo loves me so that I can change. Um, and so when we look, um, one thing that I just want to bring up in, in the Old Testament, um, in the prophets, there's a lot of information about how God feels, uh, about how God views um, his people, his people when they're sinning, when they're not sinning, um, how he feels about them, what he wants them to do, his expectations, and different things like that. Um, and I, I think a lot of times we can make overstatements um, or make statements that sound really good that aren't biblical statements. Um, so, like, for example, one statement that we often make and that I often hear um, is that we need to uh, love the sinner and not the sin or hate the sin and not the sinner uh, and that type of idea. And that's how God feels, that he hates the sin and not the sinner. Um, but God makes it really clear throughout scripture that he doesn't like any part of sin, including the, the sinner and what they're doing. That doesn't mean he doesn't love them. So I want to look at a balance within one book in Hosea. Um, in the book of Hosea, God is, gives a lot of different illustrations. He gives an illustration of a husband and a wife, of a father and a child, and his relationship with Israel. And Israel is despicable at the point that God is speaking to them through Hosea. Um, he talks about in Hosea chapter 9, in verse 9, that they have deeply corrupted themselves as in the days of Gibeah. And so I'm going to remember their iniquity and I will punish their sins. That's what God has said. When you think about what Israel was doing in the days of, of Hosea and then in the days of Gibeah, what God is referring back to is the last five chapters of Judges. If you've never read the last five chapters of Judges and you want to read a sad, despicable, awful set of stories, go and read those. It's terrible what Israel is doing and what they're involved in, particularly the last three chapters, which is the main story about Gibeah and just the unrighteousness worse than Sodom and Gomorrah, it seems like of what Israel is involved in. And so God says, that's where Israel is at at this point. And he continues on in the chapter and gets to verse 15. And he says, every evil of theirs is at Gilgal. And there I began to hate them. Not I began to hate their sins. I began to hate them because of who they were becoming. So God feels very strongly against the Israelites because of their sins that they're involved in. Does that mean that God doesn't love them anymore? No, obviously not. When you read through the rest of Hosea, you get to chapter 11 and you see kind of almost the struggle that God is having in his mind over the Israelites. He's loving them and pouring out blessings to them. And he says in chapter 11, when Israel was a child, I loved him. And out of Egypt, I called my son. The more they were called, the more they went away. They kept sacrificing to the Baals and, and burning offerings to idols. Yet it was I who taught Ephraim to walk. I took them up in my arms, but they did not know it was I who healed them. I led them with cords of kindness, with bands of love, and I became to them as one who eases yokes on their jaws, and I bent down and fed them. And then he goes on and says in verse 8, even though they keep turning away from him, and they deserve punishment, and they deserve justice, he says in verse 8, how can I give you up, O Ephraim? How can I hand you over, O Israel? How can I make you like Adma and treat you like Zeboim, which were two cities near Sodom and Gomorrah that were destroyed by God in his righteous anger? He says, my heart recoils within me. My compassion grows warm and tender. Like clearly God loves them very deeply. Does he approve of what they're doing? Absolutely not. And he even says in chapter nine, there I began to hate them because of what they were doing. So it's not this idea that either God loves me or he hates me. Both of them seem to be happening kind of almost simultaneously in, in Hosea. Um, what do you guys think about that or any other points you want to make about that? I think that when we talk about God's nature, it's helpful to, to, to remember 
some of the analogies that God uses, uh, both in the Old Testament and the New Testament. And one of them is a, a parent and a child. Um, this is what happens at the beginning of Hosea 11. Um, when Israel was a child, I loved him. I taught Ephraim how to walk. You know, he has, there's this picture of God as a father. And as any parent can tell you, there are going to be times, I mean, there's no love like a, the love of a parent for your child. Uh, you want what's best for that child. You want to see that child do well. You would do anything for your child. At the same time, your child's going to do some things that really displease you. And, and your child can get to a point where you have to really take action against your child to correct them, to, to bring them back. Um, and that, uh, that's a hard part of being, being a parent. And God deals with us as his children. There is a part of God's love that is unconditional. That uh, for your child, no matter how bad your child gets, you're still going to love that child they're your child and that's not going to change however there comes a, there reaches a point where there may be some change in the relationship because of continuous rebellion and a failure to repent and reconcile that is a thing that really happens in family relationships and with the lord i think there are parts of that that are analogous there are parts that they're the same and we realize how deeply god loves us as his own children but also that God wants to see us do what's right. And he's disciplining us. He's training us. Uh, I appreciate, Scott, what you brought up in Revelation 3. Those whom I love, I rebuke and discipline. And unfortunately, in our culture right now, people don't see rebuke and discipline as included in love. Wow. As there's just this, again, extremes that like, if you love me, you will approve of everything that I do. And if you don't, then you don't love me. You hate me. And that's not biblical love. I remember doing um, marriage counseling one time for a couple, uh, not brethren, just uh, a couple uh, that needed some marriage counseling. And it was kind of frustrating because her attitude just seemed to be, I just want him to accept him the way, I, accept me the way I am. I just want to be accepted the way I am. That was kind of her thing. And that's, that's not how you get things better. Uh, Romans 3.23, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, uh, which includes this rough paraphrase. Sometimes we're all jerks. When we're being jerks, we don't need to keep being jerks. And, you know, for me to say, I just want you to accept me the way I am. If I'm being rude, obnoxious, hurtful, I don't, it's not my job to tell you to approve of what I'm doing. We, we've gotten, like Stephen said, in a culture where we're just supposed to be accepted and not everything that people do should be accepted. That doesn't mean not love. Romans chapter five, well, did somebody sum up for us briefly the main point there at the beginning of Romans five about who we were and what Jesus did? Paul says that while we were still sinners, while we were enemies of God, Christ died for us. Um, so we were on the total opposite end of, of God's family. We were against him. We were enemies um, fighting against him. But Jesus came and died for us, like similar to that also in John three sixteen, For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. While we were still in our sins was when God made the sacrifice for us so that we could be have a, a relationship with him. Stephen. I think it's also powerful to see Jesus 
and the rich young ruler in Mark chapter 10, uh, verse 21, Mark 10, 21. And Jesus looking at him, loved him and said to him, you lack one thing. And there's a strong connection between, again, love and rebuke at times. That's not the only way that love manifests itself. It's not always tough love, but it certainly includes tough love and discipline. That's consistently part of the biblical picture of love. John. Yeah, so going on with the, with the question um, from our viewer, uh, another thing that, that they mentioned um, was, does God love me? So with all that in mind, um, does God love me just the way I am when he meets me at the cross? Um, what do you guys think about that? So I think it would be very helpful for us to turn to Luke chapter 22. Uh, excuse me, make that Luke 23. Here's two men that meet Jesus at the cross. One of them may have well met him before, uh, or at least heard him. He knows enough to believe him. So these two men meet Jesus at the cross, right? And what is verse 30? It's the two guys, the two thieves crucified on either side. What is verse 39? Somebody please read 39 through 43. This is Luke 23, 39 through 43. One of the criminals who were hanged railed at him saying, are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. But the other rebuked him saying, do you not fear God since you are under the same sentence of condemnation? And we indeed justly, for we are receiving the due reward of our deeds, but this man has done nothing wrong. And he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And he said to him, truly, I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. Now, as Jesus is being mistreated on this day, shortly before, uh, after he's been beaten, after he's been scourged, after he's been nailed to the cross, and they crucify him and the two evildoers on either side, what did Jesus say in verse 34? Father, Jesus said, forgive Father, Father, forgive them. Yeah, he wants them to be forgiven, and he's dying for them. So question number one, how many of the thieves did Jesus love? Both of them. Yes, yes. Now, they both meet Jesus at the cross. Um, Which one is going to be with Jesus in paradise? One who humbled himself and asked for forgiveness. Which one earned, yeah, how many of them earned salvation? Neither one of them. How many of them are presenting Jesus with something that he's just, that, oh, look at all that they've done for him and they've accomplished so much and they've been so perfect for so long that, of course, they'll go. Neither. But what's the difference in these two men? Humility, in one case. Yes. One of them recognizes their need and that Jesus is innocent. And um, he asks Jesus, he shows faith in him. Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And he can't do much, but he does what he can. He stands up for Jesus. So one is unrepentant and one is repentant. And that's, that's really one of the key words that this question has to remember. Repentance. Second Peter 3, God doesn't want anybody to perish, but wishes that everybody will repent to repentance yeah so in god's love he doesn't want us to perish what he wants is us to repent 
we have a question here. If someone wants to take that question and respond to it, and then I'm going to pull up uh, a couple more slides. Or if anybody else has another comment. Uh, let's see. From PJ, you're talking about the one from PJ? Yes. I emphasize with the topic, the Bible character that I most relate to is Elijah. I have my high moments, but then in my low moments, I feel like God doesn't approve approve that okay of me not because of what i have done but be, but based on the circumstances and the hard times hmm. yeah I, I hear you pj uh i think that we all realize that our spiritual lives don't look exactly like a, a flat road that's straight and <laughs> consistent and even but our our spiritual lives look a little more like a roller coaster um and we see that with Elijah. I mean, immediately after his display of complete trust in God in at Mount Carmel, the very next chapter we have Elijah running to the wilderness. Now, granted, the the ruler of one of the rulers of the kingdom just said, "You're going to be a dead man by tomorrow." That's terrifying. But he's asking God to take his life. He's done. And many times we feel the same way is that uh, one day I feel like I'm faithful and on track and doing what's right. And the next day I feel like I'm ready to give up that I'm just, it's over. And we see, I think the Lord's compassion all through the old Testament and the new Testament. I mean, Elijah is a great example. Abraham is a great example. David is a great example. Peter is a great example. I just think about, especially the 12, who spent the most time with Jesus of anybody and the number of times they misunderstood, they had prejudice, they had, uh, you know, hot temper, <laughs> ready to call down fire and destroy villages. Um, and the way Jesus worked with those men over those three years is tremendously encouraging to me that, that their lives also looked like that roller coaster. <laughs> And Jesus rebuked them. He said, oh, you have little faith on multiple occasions. There are a couple of times he sighed and said, how long do I have to bear with you? But he loved them and he saw their trajectory. He saw their continued trust in him and he worked with them. And if he can work with them, he can work with us. Yeah, I want to go to Jonathan and then Drew, but I want to make one quick comment about that road. The second time you made it like this and I like that better. Because uh, Paul says he's pressing on, but that pressing on, you know, will often have some dips and jags in it. But if we're keeping on, then even when we stumble, if we'll keep growing and, and, and bearing fruit. Uh, Jonathan and then Drew. Go ahead, Drew. Uh, the, uh, the question comes in, Jay, I'm glad the way you worded it. said, um, but then in my low moments, I feel like God doesn't approve of me. Why? Because based on the circumstances, that's those low points that you're talking about. He's not going to disapprove of me because of the circumstances. He's going to disapprove of me based on what I do or don't do. And I think that's the struggle he's talking about here. I think it's because of the circumstances. I'm, uh, at least that's what I'm looking at from the question. And then that, it comes to mind where I think about in uh, John 14, well, we're looking at it from the point of view of, I want God to love me. God loves me 
the way I am. And, and that's the way I'm looking at it. I want God to love me. But if you look at John 14, 21, he says, Jesus says, whoever has my commandments and keeps them, that's what PJ is talking about there, what I have done or not done. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, and I would say that's regardless of the circumstances I find myself in, he it is who loves me. So I love Jesus. We have not been talking about how I feel towards the Lord. We've been looking at it from the point of view in our discussion, because that's the way the question is. I want to be accepted. I want to be loved by the Lord. Well, wait a minute. How do I love the Lord? Doesn't that come first? Yeah, he says, because if you keep them, it's he who loves me. And he who loves me, oh, look at that next statement, will be loved by my Father. And I will love him. So if I want to be loved by my Father, I've got to do something. I've got to think, think this through more than just sitting here and say, well, I'm the way I am. Accept me the way I am. There's no scripture that teaches that. And Jesus is saying the opposite here. And he loved first, as it said in John, we love because he loved us first. That's but right. then we have to respond. We have to repent. And when we fail and look back and, oh, I've messed up, well, if you're not a Christian, come to God. You know, Peter said, repent so that your sins may be blotted out. Repent and be baptized for the forgiveness of your sins. And if you're already a Christian, well, it, it, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And when the Lord forgives us, we need to forgive ourselves. But coming back in, uh, Jonathan, did you have something? There's a couple things I want to get in here, but you had your hand up earlier. Um, just the, the last kind of comment, and I think the direction you're going will be, um, will be along this line as well. But the last uh, question, um, kind of section of the question um, that our viewer had was, uh, if God um, loves me just the way I am when I meet him at the cross, um, and does he love me that way at all points in my walk with him whenever I'm only making a little bit of progress or when I'm struggling, does, is God's love also on a roller coaster with us as we're going up and down? And, and I would say, again, Jesus loved Peter when Peter's at the fire saying, I don't know him, I don't know him. And mm. Jesus loved Peter when Peter stood before the Sanhedrin and said, I'm going to obey the Lord, not, not you. This is through Jesus Christ. But he approved of Peter in the one situation that he didn't approve of Peter in the other. Let's get these uh, slides up here real quickly. I want to back up to one concept. This is going to backtrack for just a minute, but I, I forgot to get this up earlier. This is a broad concept. Paying attention to biblical bookends. Whenever, on just so many topics, bookends help the books be right here where they're supposed to be. If you don't have the bookends, they tend to fall over and get where they don't need to be. But your library is not in just one single spot here. It occupies a range of position. And the Bible will do that on a number of topics. And so it helps to pay attention to where the ends are. So, for example, work and money, I've always thought is an easy way to illustrate this. We won't take time to read the verses, but many of you will remember them. In Matthew 3, the message is, don't worry about money. Don't love money. Don't worry about it. God Matthew takes care six. of it. He'll take care of you. 
Second Thessalonians is written to some lazy bums who don't want to work. And Paul reminds them, what? If a man shall not work, neither shall he eat. Yeah. Now, he's not saying love money and be stressed out about money, but he's saying be responsible and take care of yourself. So Matthew 6 means we shouldn't be over here loving money and fretting over it. Second Thessalonians means we can't go over here lazy and refusing to be responsible. We need to stay in here. And there's some people who have a tendency to go this way and they need to be stopped by this bookend. There's some people who have a tendency to go this way, they need to be stopped by this bookend. And so just this concept, I should have had that earlier in the slides when we're talking about balance. But let's get this up here. Uh, how much time do we have? Four minutes. Okay, so I wanna do this real quick and get your comments. We have a song, Just As I Am. I don't like that song, but I understand how somebody can sing it with a good meaning. Uh, but I'll, I'll put it up here. When I say I don't like it, that's my personal preference. Because it sounds almost like it's saying just this, just take me the way I am without me changing. So, just as I am, if meant as a repentant, grace-seeking prodigal son, yes. When the prodigal son came back, how much of the inheritance was he bringing back to the home? Zero. Uh, how did he smell? <laughs> yeah, pigs. Yeah, yeah. There's, he comes back with nothing but a recognition of his unworthiness and his need to return. I have sinned. I am unworthy. But he came back. He's repentant and he came back. If by just as I am, I mean, I want to be saved where I'm at. I don't want to be saved from my sins. I want to be saved in my sins. No. I want to be accepted for whom I am. This is who I am. Take it or leave it. Do you remember the parable when the people invited to the wedding guests turned down the invitation? So the king says, go out to the streets. Go to find anybody. But one person comes in and he hasn't even showed the respect to make a change of clothing. In Matthew 22, mm -hmm. when the king came in, he saw one of the guests and he's not even dressed for the wedding. And he asked him about it and the fellow was speechless. What happened to that fellow? He got thrown out. Yeah. So by just as I am, we mean, here, Lord, take it or leave it. This is me. I'm not changing. That's not going to work. Mm -hmm. All right. You guys finish this up there. That's all I wanted to say. I'll, I'll just say that I do believe the hymn, just as I am, I do think some people take it just by the title and say like, oh, some denominations say, oh, come as you are. And the idea there is come however you are and stay as you are. <laughs> that, that's not the biblical idea. I, th I think that the author meant in the first sense that you put there, that it's blessed are the poor in spirit. I'm coming to God with nothing. I'm coming to Jesus. Because um, I appreciate that the hymn goes on to say um, that uh, just as I am, um, he says, thy love unknown has broken every barrier down. Now to be thine, yea, thine alone. Oh, a yeah. lamb of God, I come, I come. That's the last verse of the song. Is I, Jesus, I'm coming and I realize I have nothing to offer you. I am destitute. Um, there's actually one version of the song that makes reference to uh, Revelation 3, just as I am, poor, wretched, blind. 
um, sight, riches, healing of the mind, yea, all I need in thee to find, O Lamb of God, I come, I come. It's recognizing I have been like the Christians in Laodicea, and I need to buy from Jesus gold that's actually worth something, garments that I can cover myself with, and all these things. And the hymn points us to Jesus. We come to Jesus totally transparently. Jesus, you know where I've been. You know what I've done. The prodigal son, again, a great analogy. And says, Lord, I'm coming to you to be totally yours. And so if we read the whole hymn, and this is true with lots of songs, not just take one little phrase out of it, but to look at it and say, what is this song saying? It's not, I'm not coming to Jesus and telling him, you know, I'm pretty good already. I'm just, you know, want you to take me as I am. It's coming to Jesus and saying, like, I have nothing. I'm coming to you in desperate need. Please take me and change me. So thinking about those, those questions again, um, the, the different points of view that we started out with, um, that God will love me if I change. Is that true? I think yes, <laughs> in, in a certain way uh, in scriptures. But then also, does God love me so that I can change? Well, yes. <laughs> and gave us his son so that we could change and come to him. So both they're not opposed to each other. We need to look into the biblical ideas and the biblical balance um, of that and see what, what does God's love really do. Um, and one last point that, that I want to make um, uh, about that. So in my ups and downs and in my high points and low points, um, does God still love me the same way? I, I think this story that's in, and we referenced this in Luke 22, um, I have a speculation, that, and this probably may or may not be true, when Luke was writing this, I suspect he was probably talked with Peter um, whenever he was recording these events here, because Luke is the only gospel that records whenever Peter was denying the Lord that Jesus turned and looked at him. And I suspect that's not probably something that Peter remembers very vividly. The night that I, that I denied the Lord, he turned while he was on trial and looked me in the eye. And it doesn't give detail as to what that look was like, but I assume it was probably a look of disappointment, a look of hurt, a look of, of please, you know, go and repent and, and come back to me and, and accept me again, which we know Peter goes on to do. When you read in Luke 22 um, that Peter did that, did the Lord still love him? I think yes. <laughs> but did he approve of where Peter was right there, like we said? No. And it's the same thing for us. Um, when we're falling, when we're, when we're just making tiny amounts of progress, when we're struggling, um, when we're weary, when we're afraid or whatever else, does God still love us? Yes, absolutely. Does he want us to do better? And is he there to help us to do better? Yes, I think absolutely. And we need to remember that as well. It's not, it's not an argument of, well, God stopped loving me or God hates me now or that kind of thing. God continually loves us, but he wants us to grow and to be more conformed to the image of his son. Uh, any other comments that y'all want to make before we wrap up? All right. Well, thank you all for um, your comments, the audience for their comments, for the questions that you all have. Um, thank our viewer for that question. That's a, a deep concept. Um, and I hope that we, we did it justice in talking about that um, from the scriptures. If you have any other questions uh, or any other uh, Bible topics or Bible verses or things that you'd like us to discuss here on BibleQuest, uh, you can submit that BibleQuest.tv. And we'd be happy to get to that and talk through those things. Uh, on Tuesday uh, at 2 p.m. We will see you all next Tuesday, Lord willing.